I'm going to be in the gospel this morning. Last time, we talked about the Akedah in the context of the call of Abraham. Remember, you have Lechlecha when Abraham is called, and then you have Lechlecha when he's called to go sacrifice his son. The point of that little talk was God lures you, if you will, into relationship with him through blessing. He promises if you follow me and do things my way, your life will really go well. So lots of people come into the kingdom of God because things are not going well or because they're seeking blessing. But at some point, God will test that relationship as he does with Abraham and he does with everybody. So the question then becomes, are you just in it for the blessing or do you have a relationship with God? What we're seeing in today's gospel reading is he's talking about the end times. And one of the things that should be really obvious to everyone is at some point the blessings are going to stop. People who are just in it for the blessing at the end times, those are going to get cut off. And what we're going to have is tribulation, destruction, suffering, all those kinds of things. And what God assures us is... In today's reading on 21.17, you will be hated for my namesake. In other words, you're not going to be popular. But not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. So what he's saying is the worldly blessings are going to come to an end. But if you persevere and are faithful through those, the next part of your life will be just fine. And so those who believe they're going to heaven or something like that or going to be sucked into the overhead and not going to taste any of the tribulation and all that kind of stuff, I'm suggesting to you that they are exercising a false hope. So once the blessings stop, only the relationship remains. So if you're just in it for the blessings and you haven't really built a relationship it's going to be very difficult when the blessings stop because you're going to look around and say, what? Why me? Now, we're reading Ezekiel on Tuesday nights. And what I want to talk about is prophecy. And I've said this many times to all of you, and you've all heard it before. When God sends a prophet through your town, it's not to pat you on the back and say, wow, you guys are doing a great job. I didn't know the way it works. He sends you a prophet when you're off the rails. It is that way with Yeshua. It's that way with every prophet in the Bible. One of the functions of a prophet is what I would call quality control. We're down here running our society, doing all of our stuff, and God is up in heaven, and he looks down and says, "Uh, the product that you guys are producing is defective. I need to send down a quality control specialist, and we need to get this sorted out. And that's what a prophet is for. A prophet comes while there is still time to fix things. If a prophet shows up and says, repent, but it's too late, then the prophet is a waste of bandwidth. So the prophet comes while there is still time to fix it. That's what happens in all of the prophets. And what typically happens, with a couple of exceptions, Jonah being one, is they don't try and fix it. So then the prophet goes into this is why things are bad. One of the things we've been talking about in the Ezekiel study on Tuesday is 
you all remember, of course, that Ezekiel is prophesying in Babylon. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel are contemporaries. They're all doing it at the same time. So Jeremiah is doing it from Jerusalem. Ezekiel is doing it among the exiles. And, of course, Daniel is in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. So the question becomes, well, why is Ezekiel even necessary? Because you got Jeremiah, who's the prophet that got sent to Jerusalem at a point where there was still perhaps time to repent. And, of course, they don't. What's Ezekiel doing? They're already in exile in Babylon. Well, what we discovered on Tuesday night is that the exiles in Babylon really don't understand why they're there. All they know is that these big hairy Babylonians all came down and scooped them up and took them off to Babylon. Wait a minute, what's going on? I mean, we were going to the temple, we were doing the sacrifices, we were doing the prayers, we were doing all that kind of stuff. What? Why are we here? And what Ezekiel is describing to them is why they are there. In fact, one of the passages, Ezekiel 20.1, these are the elders of the exiles in Babylon, and they come to Ezekiel. So certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. This is Ezekiel speaking. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. The leaders of the exile community come to the prophet, and they want to inquire of the prophet. And God looks at them and says, I'm not going to be inquired of by you. And then the rest of chapter 20 explains that even though they have been sanded off by Babylon, taken into exile, they have not given up the ways that caused them to go into exile. They're still doing it. So don't come to me and ask me, prophet, what's going on, because I'm not going to answer you, because you have not changed. Exile has not changed you. And the reason it makes sense is because there's a whole lot of the body of Messiah, the church, etc., that are in that same situation. They go to church, they tithe, they do all of that kind of stuff, but just like the exiles in Babylon who went to the temple, who did the sacrifices, who did the tithes, did all that kind of stuff, they were, in fact, not righteous before God in the way that it mattered. And so God shipped them into exile to get their attention. And even in exile, they didn't fully have their attention. And what I'm suggesting to you is that there's a lot of the church who, when things start going down, are going to be in the same situation. Why me? So, there's an old heresy. It goes back to the first century. Marcion is the guy's name. Marcion said, the God of the Old Testament is this mean, nasty, wrathful guy But now that we've got this guy, Jesus, gentle, loving Jesus, everything changes. You don't want to have anything to do with that wrathful God of the Old Testament. What you want to do is you want to cling to that gentle Jesus and everything will be fine. 
And what Yeshua is saying is, well, actually, that's not the way it is. The rules that God gave you and the behavior and the beliefs that God gave you have not changed at all. And the problem I'm suggesting to you with much of the body of Christ is that they think the rules have changed. I have heard Christian preachers say, God would not subject his bride to wrath. Anybody heard that? The prophets give you an insight into the way people think. And just as the exiles in Babylon don't think they deserved it, so many today, when things start going down, won't think they deserve it either. They will be really, whoa, why is this all happening to us? And by the way, I will suggest that one of the things that you'll be able to do is explain it to them. If they come out to your tent in the wilderness. That, by the way, will be important. Just as Ezekiel was a prophet sent to those people to explain to them what the problem was, so those of you who understand what the problem is going to be will be in a position to help, and that will be a good thing. One of the blogs I read, British Mormon, and he said something which I've known is true, but he said it in a way that I hadn't thought of it that's really good. He says, fear, resentment, and despair are sins. God says, fear not, over and over and over again, right? And most of us take that as encouragement. There, there, don't be afraid. Most of us take it in that vein. No, it's a commandment. Don't be afraid. Don't despair. Yeshua says the same thing. You all remember the parable of the minas or the parable of the talents, where you've got the three managers that get entrusted with resources by the master, and the master goes off, and two of the guys go out and invest and do well with it. But one guy, the last one, specifically says, I was afraid. I didn't do anything because I was afraid. That was exactly what he says. You know what the master calls that guy? Wicked. Sinful, wicked, bad, and in fact throws him out and there'll be wailing of gnashing of teeth and all that kind of stuff. So fear and despair are sins. Now, let's stop a minute and get some definitions. There's the emotion of fear. You know, you're walking down a trail in the woods and there's a bear. Whoa, okay, you obviously feel fear, and rightly so, and that motivates you to get up a tree or get down the trail or something. That's not sinful. You are not expected to confront every bear you meet in the woods and wrestle it to the ground. The survival instinct of fear that everybody goes through when you meet a dangerous situation and you do something to preserve yourself, that is not sinful. What is sinful is living a life of fear. Now let me give you an example. Today's Gospel reading. In Luke 21, starting in verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Doesn't sound fun. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Now, here's the key phrase. 
Settle it therefore in your mind not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Now what he is saying is, all right, I'm telling you what's going to happen at some point. But what I don't want you doing is dwelling on it, stewing on it, thinking about what kind of a story you're going to have made up. I don't want you dwelling on this. Just understand at some point it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. Fear not. The thing here is settle in your mind beforehand not to meditate on this. Which is to say, don't live in fear of it. Go on about your business. Do the things I've given you to do. Invest the talents I've given you. And at some point, the worldly blessing is going to cease. Don't worry about it. I've got you. I'll give you what to say. And the other part of that is you may, in fact, wind up being killed for your beliefs. Don't worry about that either. Everybody's someday going to die. You have a relationship with me. I've got this covered. Now, the question is, why does God give prophecy? As I say, quality control gets you to repent, of course. But everybody wants to know, when is this stuff going to happen? I mean, it's great indoor sport, figuring out when the second coming is going to be. Put your mind at rest. God specifically says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. In other words, you're not going to be able to figure it out. Don't waste the bandwidth. You're not going to be able to get it. Furthermore, he says, there's going to be all sorts of false Christ coming around. Don't pay any attention to that nonsense. When I come back, the entire world is going to know it immediately. It is not going to be somebody out there in the wilderness that you're going to go to and you're going to secretly get into Christ's band in the wilderness and we're all going to come marching into Jericho. That's nonsense. He says, don't do any of that stuff. Do what I gave you to do. Keep doing it. Don't be afraid. Don't despair. Just keep marching on. If you get hauled up because of who you are, now, don't get me wrong, if you run a stop sign and a cop writes you a ticket, you're not being persecuted for who you are. You're being persecuted for something dumb. But if you get hauled up for who you are, and by the way, that's happening in Canada right now. You've got preachers who are standing up against all this nonsense, and they're preaching, and they're getting hauled up in front of judges. In fact, some dumb judge up in Canada says, all right, now... You can go out and preach, but you've got to give the government disclaimer before you say anything. And the guy goes, and goes out and continues to preach. <laughs> Good for him. Good man. That's the way it should be done. I mean, literally, this judge sentenced him to modify his message to give the standard government warning about COVID and all that kind of stuff. And, okay, no. I mean, he didn't say no to the judge. He just goes out and continues doing what he's going to do. That's the way it's done. He has been hauled up before a judge because of what he believes. The world hates him. And he doesn't care. I like that guy. I don't never met him, but he's cool. So, one of the things about fear, the wrong kind of fear, 
is fear is used to control you. That's what's happening to most of the world with this pandemic. Now, it's been through the congregation. It's a real disease. Several of you had really serious cases of it. Mary is still in and out. No question about that. But so is the flu. So is cancer. So is 10,000 other things that can happen to you. They're real things. You want to wash your hands and do all that kind of stuff. But what you don't want to do is cower in your basement in fear. I have a neighbor. God bless him. Talking to him, he says, the thing that terrifies me is the prospect of getting long COVID. He's 50 years old, in great health, mountain bikes, all that kind of stuff. So he isn't really worried about dying of it. What he's really worried about is being debilitated for the rest of his life with long COVID. I suppose that's entirely possible, whatever that is. But to live in fear is, again, a waste of bandwidth. And what people are doing is they are controlling the world through fear. So one of the things that fear does is it focuses you inward. When you're living in fear, you're focused on you, yourself, and you. You're the most important thing in the world. Preserving you is the most important thing in the world. And you are focused internally, which means that you don't listen to anything else. Like I say, my neighbor who is afraid of long COVID doesn't hear anything about, oh, there's a 99 point some odd chance that you'll get better from this. If you are one of those 0.2%, then one-tenth of a percent of those may get this long COVID thing. So your chances are actually pretty good. Good betting odds. He doesn't want to hear that. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. That's what you get from him. And that's fear speaking. So you can always tell when someone is operating in fears, they won't listen to anything else. They're focused on themselves. Last thing. I heard some of your prayers today. Giving up on a society is not your prerogative. It's God's prerogative. And your witness there is Jonah. Jonah had given up on Nineveh. God sent Jonah into Nineveh because there was a chance that we would repent. Jonah didn't want to go because he'd given up on them. In addition to which, he didn't like the Ninevites and wanted them sanded down. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons for this. But my point is, you don't get to give up. God may at some point give up on us, and that's what happens to Sodom in today's Torah portion. God finally gave up on Sodom and fire and brimstone. Abraham didn't give up on Sodom. Abraham was trying to persuade God that these people could still be made useful to him. They could come to repentance. God, of course, knows better, and God knows, and you don't. My point is, as you look around at our society right now, which is quite frankly a mess, truly is, I agree, you don't get to give up. God decides to give up, that's above your pay grade. But don't you do it. You've got stuff to do. You're supposed to be out there talking to people, witnessing people, helping people. You're supposed to be doing the stuff that Christ says that you're supposed to do.
It is not acceptable for you to despair. That's a sin. It's not acceptable for you to live in fear in your basement and not do anything. That's a sin. What you're supposed to be doing out there is spreading the good news and trying to help people. If God at some point decides, yeah, that's a waste of time and sands us off, that's his business, not yours. Don't despair. Don't give up. Don't live in fear. 